0: Welcome to Jersey Justice, a civil law podcast that shares practical tips and stories about personal and workplace injuries. Join two of the brightest New Jersey injury attorneys, Gerald Clark and Mark Morris of Clark Law Firm, as they take you behind the scenes of justice and civil law. But first, a quick disclaimer the information shared on this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing on this site should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create and does not constitute an attorney client relationship. Today I'm here with Mark and Stephanie, and we're going to be talking about how fault is determined in automobile accidents in New Jersey. And also we're going to be talking about accident reconstruction. So welcome, Mark. Welcome, Stephanie.
1: Thanks for having us
0: yeah absolutely absolutely so i'm excited to talk about this topic mark why don't we start the conversation off with the potential client wants to know how is fault actually determined in an automobile accident because a lot of times it can be a he said she said thing unless there's a dash cam or there's evidence like the previous episode we just recorded what are your thoughts on that from a legal standpoint
1: sure so one of the first steps like anytime we we take a case on or we're investigating cases we'll look at the police report And the police report isn't necessarily like a be-all, end-all of who's at fault for the crash, but a lot of times there's a lot of good things in there that that can be helpful. There's motor vehicle codes that they have. If you ever look at a police report, there's numbers all up and down the sidelines and or on the sides of the document and throughout. And those different numbers actually mean something. Like there will be a code for driver inattention. There will be a code if there was sun in the eyes or anything like that. So we'll almost always start by looking at the police report you know again someone may have gotten a ticket a lot of times we see uh, careless driving sometimes you see reckless driving or unsafe driving but again that ticket's not automatically going to come in and a lot of times it doesn't come in in a personal injury case that's a big thing there'll be witness statements every once in a while but but really it comes down to there's only so many different types of auto cases you'll have like a rear end hit a left hand crash maybe someone runs a stop sign runs through uh, a red light or what And just kind of doing it over the years, I I know Stephanie can talk about it too, is is you get a sense like if it's a rear end collision, it's almost always 100% the defendant's fault. I mean, I have case after case now where it, it seems to be more of like a relatively new phenomenon where instead of just saying like, hey, yeah, rear end collision, they give an excuse. Like one guy says, my foot cramped. You know, someone else was like the floor, the mats came up and I couldn't hit the brake pedal, just things like that. But at the end of the day, New Jersey law is pretty straightforward, you're responsible for what's in front of you. You have to maintain a safe following distance. If someone stops in front of you and you hit them, it's almost always still your fault. But sometimes that'll come into play if there's like a stop short allegation. Like say it's a three car pileup, our car's in the middle. If the car in front of them stops short and then the person behind our client rear-ended them, they hit into the car in front. You know, every once in a while, there could be a small percentage of fault put on the person that stopped short, but that's not automatic. And then as crazy as this is, even if you're going through an intersection where there's a green light, going through an intersection where you don't have a stop sign, you still have an obligation to make you know proper observations before you're going through. So pretty rarely, but every once in a while, we'll see like if the case goes to arbitration or something like that, they could put some fault on our client who went through a green light or went through an intersection without a stop sign, just because you still have an obligation to make proper observations. I don't necessarily agree with that. You know, and I'm sure Stephanie, too, like if we go to arbitration and our client's got a green light minding their own business and someone runs through a red light and slams into them like we showed in that video clip before, I don't really think my client should have done anything different or or what, but that's really it. Um, at the end of the day, we've we've talked about too a lot, like Jerry mentioned on one of the last episodes, like if it's a rear end hit, they'll still blame our client like throughout the case. say they should make proper observations whatever it may be, and then get to trial and say, hey, you know what, we admit fault. And that's not now because they're trying to be like good guys. There's strategic reasons behind that. But that's really kind of it. Starting points, the police report, just from doing this, you know, there's different jury instructions on different mechanisms of how crashes occur. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes too, like, we'll even if I share my screen real quick, I could show you, like, there's a diagram every once in a while in these police reports that give an indication of what happened. Um... And let me know when you can see this. All right. Can you see what's up there? Yeah, now we can. All right. So this is vehicles are numbered, you know, vehicle one, vehicle two. There's almost always a description of what happened. You know, it says like driver two is traveling east, highway 36, vehicle one came on Eatontown Boulevard, struck his vehicle on the driver's side. Vehicle one then ran off the road and struck a one-way sign. Driver one said he was crossing highway 36. Driver one said he thought he had a green light signal. So, you've moved down to police report. It says multiple witnesses in the area say that driver two had the green light, driver one had the red light. So, that's a good fact in this case because we've got driver two in this particular case. It says dash cam video was also submitted on this case file showing vehicle two had the green light, which again, that's very helpful to us. That's rare that that happens. But so, in a case like that, where you've got multiple eyewitnesses, you've got dash cam footage, and it, it seems pretty clear that vehicle one had a red light, ran through the red light, and hit into our client. I don't really see that being a case where there would be much liability that that could get put on our client. But again, last episode we went through, we read the discovery responses from the defendant insurance company and they blame our client up and down, say they should have watched, you know, where they were going, follow motor vehicle codes, all things like that, which, which happens in, in all these cases. So this one was a little bit more straightforward than we're used to, but sometimes if it's like a more complicated case or if it's a really bad crash or really bad collision, like fatalities or, or catastrophic injuries, they'll, the police will bring out like a fatal crash reconstruction unit that does a way more detailed analysis, or will go out and hire an expert that that does something along those lines. I think Stephanie had a case like a few years back that, that she can talk more about, but my understanding, I just remember from talking with her about it, like it was a girl that was crossing the road. I, I think it was nighttime and it, it was a really, really like bad crash. She got real hurt. I don't know enough about it, Stephanie. You could tell like if you guys had a good report like this.
2: So I did have one of those cases that were similar to what you're saying, which is we received the case in from another attorney and the police report was not really favorable to our client. And the other attorney was like, I don't think this is a case. But once we started digging into it, we realized that there was more to it. And so what it involved was, A young woman and her friends were getting off a bus over in Freehold at maybe like three, two, three in the morning, maybe about three o'clock in the morning. And they got off the bus and they were starting to cross Route Nine. They were in a crosswalk, but it was in dispute of whether they had the right to cross and whether the um, little person was lit up telling them they could cross. And what happened was a woman, she worked for a paper delivery and she had just picked up the papers and she was on the way to go deliver them. And she hit the first person that my client was with. And then she hit my client. They went flying, severely injured, They had to be airlifted my client had really bad injuries we got the police report they had to do what mark was talking about they had to do a detailed investigation a shoe was found here a a piece of clothing was found here and it was all marked off and it was all measured and when it came to it did appear as if they were in the crosswalk and they were kind of about halfway into the roadway which is relevant for new jersey so even if they would have had Even if the other driver had the green light, it was still relevant that they were halfway into the crosswalk. So we kind of did a little discovery, deposed the defendant, and she was this little tiny, tiny woman who could barely see over the steering wheel. So when we saw pictures of her car, inside her car, first of all, there was just crap everywhere, drinks and stuff, papers were in the back, and she had to sit on a thing just to lift herself up. So... I'm not sure whether she even saw our clients when she was deposed. This is one of those cases where sometimes it goes the right way when you have a case that seems clear cut against your client. But this woman, this driver was not the least bit sympathetic. She said, I thought I hit a deer. I was the one that was up meaning her. She was the one that was so upset. She didn't know what happened. She thought it was a deer. And, you know, and I explained to her, well, once you found out it was two people that you hit, then what did you do? She was, oh, I was just so upset. So it was all about her, which is super helpful. I'll get to that in a second. We did not have to go to trial, but it was going to be helpful that she was not sympathetic. A jury would not be sympathetic to her, just because of the way she portrayed herself. So as we were doing a little bit more digging, that's when we learned, like I said, seeing pictures of her car, hey, were you delivering newspapers? And so then once that happened, then we brought in the newspaper carrier And they tried to say, oh, she wasn't within our control. You know, you only have access to her, you know, you're only entitled to go after her car insurance, which was only $100,000. So once we started doing some depositions and the the questions then surrounded whether the, the paper carrier controlled her actions, meaning that they told her what time to pick up the papers, they told her exactly how to deliver the papers, they told her what route to take. And so once we determined that, then we were able to bring the newspaper carrier in. We also had our own investigator go out there and what he did, which was kind of interesting because the other driver was saying, oh no, I I was going the speed limit. I wasn't going too fast. And so what he did is one of the things he went out and did an analysis over like an hour, hour and a half for three days and saw that people normally go a certain speed. And so we were able to see, oh, okay, so the, the normal person is going 10, 15 miles over the speed limit during that time period. So it was most likely that she was also speeding too. So that was super helpful with respect to that. Our client was a doll. She was, like I said, she was seriously injured. She had a hard time getting through her deposition. So we just had to keep taking breaks and keep walking her through it. That case ended up settling for $500,000. Probably could have settled maybe a bit more if the liability was clear cut. And that kind of goes along with what Mark was saying in the beginning. If that would have been a case where she was in a car and she was rear-ended or she clearly had the crosswalk sign and she was driving and then this, I mean, she was walking on the crosswalk and this driver blew a red light, then it would have been a whole different story. But when you're settling it or when you're going to trial, there is some liability that is assessed against this, Mike, our client who, it appears, walked against a red light, but it was still a a very, very good settlement for that type of case.
1: Yeah, and too. I don't want to, I may have just taken this for granted, but like why it matters, like percentages of fault, like Stephanie's talking about how like her client could have been blamed for, you know, going against a red light. Like if she was found more than 50% at fault, then she would get nothing in the case. And if there was like, you know, the case went to trial and a jury came back and gave a verdict where, say they awarded $100,000 and they determined that Stephanie's client was 30% at fault, like she'd only be able to get $70,000. So the recovery gets discounted by whatever percentage of fault you are. And that's what the law is in New Jersey. Like some states, it's contributory negligence, where if you're one iota at fault, you get nothing. Like I had a case one time that got transferred to Maryland. That was the law down there. Just is really, really tough. New Jersey's comparative fault, which is good. So as long as you're not more than 50% at fault, you can recover.
2: Since it appears she went against the crosswalk indicating that she was free to go, she could have most likely been more than 50% at fault. She was very happy with that. But that was a case where originally when we looked at the police report, it seemed like, oh, this is not a case. This is not a good case. The prior attorney had, had said, now hands off. And then once we kind of dug into it a little bit more, got our own investigator, did a lot of depositions, found out some little holes in the story. You know, we actually actually deposed the bus driver and everybody up to that point had said, oh, yes, your clients, they did not have the right of way to walk the driver had a green light, but this bus driver, he let them off. And as he started pulling away, I asked him, did you look up and see what the light was? And he said, yeah, I think it, I, I think the other driver might've had a red one, but I'm not sure. So it gave me a little bit of a doubt where it was like, okay, everybody else is saying it. She, the driver definitely had a green. And then this bus driver was like, no, she might've had the red. And so then which in our case created a, a nice little question of fact because maybe my client didn't go against the red light. So little nuances like that are super important and taking depositions and finding little nuggets like that that can help your client and help your case are why we do what we do.
1: Stephanie, so I was sitting here, as you were talking about like doing the deposition, this case was way pre-COVID, right? Like oh this- yeah,
2: this was back in 2016.
1: So I picture because depositions for the past three plus years have all been over Zoom. Like if that had been a dep over deposition over Zoom, you may have not even known that she was this like five foot nothing person. Like I'm seven feet tall. I'm sitting in this chair or I'm, you know, four foot eight. There's right. no way to know. So that probably made right. a big distinction too, because it paints a totally different picture, a totally different analysis of the case. Like if you're just picturing someone going along, you're like, what, like, what could have happened? But then you're picturing some little old lady or that, just not assuming she's old or what picturing someone like down like that. That's a totally different analysis.
2: Absolutely. And that's why also discovery is great when you get photos of the, um, cause the police did a really thorough investigation and they had photos of her car. And like I said, it was not only a mess, but then there was a, a big pad on her seat. I mean, like, like three phone books, like <laughs> It was big. And I remember saying to her, do you, do you need to sit on that to drive? And she was like, yeah. And and so I was like, whoa. So I think, yeah. I literally think that's exactly what happened. She was this little tiny lady she yeah. could barely see thing, And it was dark. And, you know, they allegedly had dark clothing on, my client and the friend.
1: Stephanie does, and this is like a little hype for her, but she does such a good job kind of peeling off like the layers of the onion of cases like this. Like she's saying, she took it over from an attorney that rejected it and then goes and gets a half a million dollar recovery. And just even like talking about noticing that there's a bunch of newspapers in the car and like, were you delivering newspapers? Because if you're doing something in the scope of your employment, that opens up another potential layer of insurance coverage, which is normally going to be much higher than someone's just personal auto coverage. So just to even get into that ballpark of another layer of coverage was a great step because these crosswalk cases are not easy. You talk about like apportioning liability. I had one where a girl was crossing and same thing. It was dark out. I I think she was going against the light or it came out. She was going against the light, but she was like 80, 90% of the way through the intersection when she got hit. So that was a fact that was kind of helpful. And the guy that hit her was like 88, 89 years old or something like that. So that was kind of another factor that was like, Hey, look, you know, a reasonable person probably would have seen her. It's kind of helpful there. And then it, it matters too, like what the insurance coverage was. I think in my particular case, it was like a $100,000 policy or, or maybe even less. And she had a ruptured globe to her eye, which is like a nasty injury. And in the insurance company, their analysis is going to be would probably be more expensive to fight that case than just to pay out. Like Stephanie's case, it's like that's not like, a ah, here you go. Type of money to give out like that's a really really good result in a, in a tough case
2: but i'll tell you another kind of funny story i had a client who was also hit in a crosswalk by another old gentleman who was small and he was properly in the crosswalk and driver that hit him only had a fifteen thousand dollars policy and i remember showing up at the deposition and i was like well, what are you people doing why are you not tendering the 15. he's like yeah we probably will after the deposition and i said all right i'm deposing the guy really nice old guy and so i'm kind of asking him like what were you doing that day and it ended up coming out that he was delivering auto parts I, I asked the question were you of course in scope of your employment i phrased it a little bit differently were you working at that time had you just had delivery and he was like oh yeah yeah i was working and i remember his counsel was like you were working and i was like you were working well so, i mean that case ended up settling for eight hundred thousand. so had we not dug that dug into that a little bit and that was actually a really fun one in the respect of the auto parts place, this guy had a a punch in like an old fashioned time punch card. So I requested all of his punch cards for like a year before this incident, right? And including the day of the incident, every other time, every other time the guy worked from eight to 4.30. But on this day, and it was an actual punch out, but on this day, he allegedly clocked out at 3 p.m. And that was the only time card in all of them that was handwritten with the guy's initials. So take it as you will, which I took it as the auto parts place actually, you know, it said that he was clocked out at that exact time before the incident, meaning he wouldn't have been in the course and scope of his employment at the time of that. He hit my client. That was like time card, time card. It was probably 50, 60 time cards. I had to show the guy and each one was the same thing. That was a good one. That one settled for, I think over 800,000.
1: Yeah. Like you can't help, but have these like soapbox moments kind of when you're doing this, like to call it, but like Play, everyone thinks plaintiffs you picture like oh the guy that goes and slips on ice and it's like oh great i'm gonna go get like money out of this that example just doesn't even really stand out as something that ridiculous because it happens in so many of these cases like construction cases you have to file motion after motion to get like the contract for the job it could be like a multi-million dollar job and they're like oh there's no contract oh there's no safety plans and then three court orders later they're like Okay, here you go. Here's the 200 page contract. Here's, you know, a thousand site photos and like all our safety records. But it takes like thing after thing after thing. And what Stephanie's talking about, there's sometimes it's a jury charge that that deals with like spoliation of evidence. Like if you get rid of evidence to try and thinking it will help the case, like the jury can be charged against that. But like fabricating evidence or people think that that could be, you know, it's going to end up helping them out. But you get good attorneys that pick up on that stuff and dive into it and it backfires so bad or like it makes the case so much worse. Like Stephanie picking up on that and going and exploring that like everybody's spoiled. you would hope everybody sees through that what that is. And like that adds value to the case. Like that doesn't mean the guy's injury is worse or what, but like everybody's analysis involves what's the jury going to do. Every way we look at a case is like, what's gonna happen at trial? How would a jury perceive this? It's one thing that the guy got really hurt. It's another than that the defendants in the case are trying to cover up evidence to stop this guy from getting like fair compensation for what happened. Like that should piss people off. Like that should get jurors like upset. And like an angry jury for us is like, is a good jury.
2: Yeah, that's a great point.
0: What I love is it's finding the loophole and Stephanie's so thorough and really noticing the details of what matters in a case like sometimes it's like the smallest thing and someone else may overlook that can make the biggest difference in what's gonna be the outcome of that case. So thank you for sharing that, Stephanie.
2: Yeah.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Those like, what do you mean by that? Or like, like, why do you say that questions sometimes can open up such like doors that you would never expect. Yeah, so that, that's just awesome. And Mark, did you have anything else? To- I think that's really it. Like Stephanie talked about it looks like this was really thorough the client had taken a bunch of pictures it looks like we sent multiple investigators out there one like early on in the case just to document the area and then another i think did you end up doing a crash reconstruction in the case stephanie
2: we didn't have to do a crash reconstruction because the police did a thorough got it crash reconstruction. like i said the point that helped us in their crash reconstruction was where the initial impact was and it showed the initial impact was in the crosswalk in the middle of the road and in new jersey if you are halfway in the middle of the road in a crosswalk even if a driver has a green light they're obligated to stop um so it was very important for us to show that they were in the crosswalk and it happened um almost middle of the way through the road
1: it all like comes down to as well again again i guess just jumping up on a soapbox like it's just fairness like who the heck hasn't crossed at a crosswalk when there's a green light? You look like, is it safe? So that from what I would understand about that, like if you're halfway through a crosswalk, that doesn't just give the oncoming driver a card launch to slam into you. You got to make proper observation. And there's jury instructions up and down, like the law that the judge would read to the jury at the end of the case about whether someone's in a crosswalk, not in a crosswalk, whether they've got the right away or don't have the right away. So it's not like Yep, you automatically win just because you're in a crosswalk or nope, you automatically lose because you weren't in a crosswalk. And I do have like, it would probably take me a second to pull it up. So it might not make sense. But the idea of like what a crosswalk is a lot broader than you would think, too. It's not just the actual like white lines at an intersection.
0: Stephanie, when it comes to determining fault and accidents, right? What type of car accident is the most difficult to prove who was at fault? Is there a particular type? Because like Mark was saying earlier, you get hit from behind. It's usually the person who hit them. It's their fault. But is there a particular scenario where it is hard to determine who is at fault?
2: We actually have a new case right now where both of them are saying that they had the green light. In an intersection with our client saying she had a green light, the other client saying they had a green light and they don't, there's no cameras. The police, they actually did not interview a lot of the witnesses because they said they didn't have time, apparently, but there were some witnesses that actually witnessed that the other driver went through the green light and are trying to find one of those witnesses, so... That one's going to be a little bit more of a challenge. We had an actual witness, or a lot of times they have the video cameras in the intersection. That makes it much easier. But that's definitely a hard case, a left turn case. If our client's coming out and making a left turn and somebody is coming from their left, I had one of those cases it was a few years ago, and it was a really nice old guy, and he was coming out and making a left, and the other driver hit him, and automatically off the bat, you you would think. Well, your guy was making a left. He he should have, you know, and and the other woman had the the proper right of way. But once again, we kind of did a little digging and she was on her way to school. She was a school cafeteria aide. And so I subpoenaed the records for the school and showed that she was supposed to get there a lot earlier than she was going to be getting there, which kind of supported our theory that she was speeding up and over that hill. That definitely helped. in the we ended up settling that case for the policy. But those are definitely tough cases.
1: Yeah, I think I covered a deposition on that case. I remember that. Yeah. Which again, that's awesome. That's peeling back the onion layers. I'm telling you, this isn't like, again, soapbox and like soft promotion. But like, there's not a lot of attorneys and law firms out there that are going to take that extra step with an auto case like that, that Stephanie just talked about. Like subpoenaing the defendant's employment records to show that she was late for work. That was a case from what I recall where like every case it's, you know, who's at fault? What are the injuries? What's the insurance coverage? Almost always one of those things is lacking, like are missing. So I would imagine in that case, the issue, the thing that was like, you know, the biggest fight was probably liability. So like a lot of people just go, nah, you know, we'll settle this real cheap or be like, we're not going to take this case or take a deposition, but like not go that extra step that Stephanie went. Mm -hmm. And by getting those records again, like, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my client pulled out and the defendant was speeding and hit her. Okay. Like, whatever. Like, says you, you're trying to get my, ladies and gentlemen, my client looked both right. ways, saw no one was coming. The, the defendant who works at a school, she's late, she's rushing, she's going downhill, you know, comes out of nowhere, slams into her, you know, slams into the client. Like, that's way more compelling. And that's, again, I imagine probably a huge reason why the defense in that case settled. That's awesome. I remember that case. Yeah,
2: he was a doll, a nice guy.
1: Which again, that matters too. Absolutely. Yeah. the, The insurance companies are assessing everything. Like we tell our clients when they go to a deposition, number one, just tell the truth. That's the most important thing. You have to be honest. There's good facts, bad facts. In any case, we can deal with it, but just don't lie because that will ruin the entire case. So we always tell the clients not to lie. And then we explain too, the deposition is as much about seeing how they present and like what kind of person they are as it is about finding out like what they recall and, and what happened. So like it goes into every analysis that the insurance companies do. Like, you know, if we settle a case or a defense attorney calls, like, look, you now your client's real nice. They presented really well at your deposition. Like that matters. That adds value to the case. Like the guy that's just like, you yeah, know, this I can't believe this jerk slammed into me. Like that's not, you don't want that. And you can only prepare people so much. Like it's organically going to come out like, what type of person that they are. And that will add or take value away from a case. You can tell we've had a few of these crosswalk cases. If I have this like children's book looking diagram of like what is and isn't the crosswalk. But you can see here
2: and the law that Mark and I were talking about it. It's called the stop and say stopped. It's it's basically the if you're halfway into the crosswalk like Mark's showing you, that you gotta stop.
1: Yes. I, I had the case actually, this guy who's a retired postal worker. And like every day he went on the same route, did the exact same walk every day for, I forget how many years. So his career was spent walking around neighborhoods as a postal worker. And then like, in his retirement, his favorite activity was going for like these morning walks. And he stepped out in an area like here where my mouse is, where there's not necessarily like a white lined crosswalk or crosswalk that looks like what's shown there. And he stepped out from behind a telephone pole, the defendant said and uh, started crossing here and he got hit and he got hurt really bad. I think he was in a coma like for a couple days and it was only a $100,000 insurance policy, but they were like fighting on that and fighting on that. And I got this little diagram. (laughs) I'm pretty positive this is from the New Jersey Department of Transportation website. So this is actually like a legitimate thing. I think I used it as a deposition exhibit and they ended up tendering the, the full policy in the case. We've talked about the last episode, how awesome it is when you have like dash cam footage pictures and all that it's one thing to stand up there and say ladies and gentlemen you don't need white lines for it to be a crosswalk even if you're just crossing at the end of the street that counts as a crosswalk it's one thing to say that it's another thing to put up this illustration and be like here you go guys people go to movies like they love looking at pictures all that stuff there's a reason they're very effective
0: That's a great example, Mark. Yeah, thanks for sharing that because it just lays it out visually for everyone to see. Stephanie, is there anything
2: else that you wanted to share? Sometimes it's just a matter of digging in and finding the little nuances and finding the inconsistencies in somebody's statement or examining a picture. And then you you take it from there.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I would say I can probably count on one hand, maybe two, like the amount of times we've had to get like a crash reconstructionist a reconstruction expert, if it's like a rear end hit, there's no reason to do that. So I I don't want people listening to think like, oh, you know, I was rear ended. Why didn't they go get like a crash reconstructionist? Because usually it's a lot of money. And if it's not going to tip the needle one way or the other, it's just it's a waste of everyone's time and time and money, because that's a lot of times a balance in in a case like this. If it's a close call and if it's like a he said, she said, it's not even guaranteed that a crash reconstructionist is going to make a difference. So you just got to be selective on on the case you, you use them. And yeah, I think Stephanie spoke to that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, this has been a great episode. Thank you so much. And for our guests out there, if you do have questions for us, you can submit your questions to questions at jerseyjusticepodcast.com to have your question featured on the show where we will be answering it live. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Jersey Justice Podcast. If you're loving what you're hearing, it's time to hit that subscribe button on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify Podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review online. Share this podcast with your friends and become their legal hero. Dive into more episodes at jerseyjusticepodcast.com or clarklawnj.com and check out our show notes for more information. If you're navigating legal issues and need a guiding light or just a phone call away, Call us at 1-877-841-8855. Again, 1-877-841-8855. Until next time, Jersey Justice Warriors, stay empowered and informed.